Hello, everyone. This is the Jilted Indian Podcast. I'm Miranda. I'm Jim. And I'm Pooja. And we are going to talk about something very important today in the month of April. We are in the middle of Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and we have several topics we would like to talk about that not only we we not only hope that we inspire thought and contemplation about it but we hope to inspire some change at least in your world and in ours yeah we we do and we're gonna start off with getting some nitty-gritty facts out of the way first so these stats are courtesy of RAIN, R-A-I-N-N.org, and that stands for Rape, Abuse, Incest National News Network. They publish, you know, sexual assault statistics all the time, and I feel before we start this conversation, it is important that we acknowledge the reality of the situation we are in. Every 98 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. One out of six American women and one out of 33 American men have been the victim of an attempt or completed rape in their lifetime. Every eight minutes, that victim is a child. From 2009 to 2013, CPS agencies substantiated or found strong evidence of 63,000 children per year are victims of sexual abuse. Only six out of 1,000 perpetrators end up in prison. 80,600 inmates are sexually assaulted or raped annually. All right, so that is the reality we exist in. Unfortunately, at the top of this podcast, I want everybody to be aware, you can call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-HOPE or visit them online.rain.org. And please, 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 if you or someone you know is being victimized by sexual assault, please speak up, please reach out. A change is only going to happen if we do that. All right, so getting into our topics, in this episode, we are going to talk about the difference or the exact sameness of rape culture in the United States versus India. We are going to talk about the anti-rape underwear that has been developed and how that is very problematic and actually does nothing for prevention. Then we will pivot from that to the um, inspiration of this episode, Bill O'Reilly and Fox News and Fox Network in general, and then also Mickey Agarwal. You may or may not have heard of her. She is the former CEO of Thinks the Period Panties. Then we're going to talk about rape kits and the Survivor Bill of Rights, and you know what we hope to see happen in the future. So that's a lot and of some positive steps that have already been taken. Yes, are, are happening. Yes. <clears throat> um, so let's get started talking about rape culture in the United States. The biggest example I think that can resonate with people, well, two examples. One is the Stanford rapist, the swimmer who the the, the swimmer who can rape, mm-hmm. um, who was found aggressively fingering an unconscious woman by two, um, I believe, foreign students at yep. Stanford University behind a dumpster, and then proceeded to blame you know her alcohol intake for the reason why this happened to her, not that this sober man acted of his own volition and did this. And also comparing it to the young man who sodomized a mentally disabled high school student, uh, filmed it and bragged about it and got no jail time, as well as the image and uh, uh, the imagery of rape in India and how that is portrayed. And at least to me, Pooja, who has never 
been to India, how it colors people like me, my perception of what India is like for a woman. Um, so let's get started. Uh, our thoughts on American rape culture. Who wants to go first? Well, I I could go on. <laughs> I think that rape culture in America versus rape culture in India, the way that they differ is that I believe feminism is further along in America than it is in India. It's catching up, and I think it's catching up at a pretty, like, if you think about it, it's catching up at a pretty quick rate in India. But relative to the century. Relative, or, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that India is catching on pretty fast. The women there and the men who are allies are catching on pretty quickly. However, just like racism, I think that misogyny and rape culture in America is institutionalized. And we are, it, it's obvious that this is a bad thing, but we have laws that say this is not such a bad thing. So it's very confusing. Why well, is... technically the laws say this is a bad thing. They just don't really support doing anything about it. There are loopholes, though. Yes, like, there like is the no sodomy reason. case. The reason that there was a loophole there is because the laws didn't sp- explicitly state that that counted as rape, essentially. No doubt about the act itself or the fact that if it done, it's just that it didn't technically fall under the legal definition of rape. Uh, that's bullshit because the Supreme Court has held uh, in various stages, and you could use it as precedent, and maybe you can't because it's been overturned, but there are state courts, surely, that say that that state that sodomy is only rape. Well, in, in the state where this happened, right, apparently to, it to, didn't fall under the category. To, to criminalize sex acts. And so I, this was a violent assault, regardless of whether or not it fit the definition of rape, and it should have been punished as such. To me, there is no loophole. There was a scapegoating of the victim, which I feel is the similarity between both. And I didn't mean, I don't mean to cut you off, Andrew, but I'm just going to say this. I feel like the similarity in both India and the United States is a predisposition of victim blaming. Oh, of course, absolutely. There is no male responsibility in, in no. the act of rape. When right. study after study has shown that rape, um, at least psychologically, to an extent, is a is an expression of dominance and power by a man over a woman. It's not about the act of sex. It, it is about the expression of power and dominance. Right. Yet pursuit of status yeah. and and power. I, I agree, and that is definitely a shame-based gender norm that is existing in both cultures. I just think that feminism is further along in America, and therefore right. the misogyny and the rape culture is sneakier. It's the idea, more insidious here. Yes, it's definitely more insidious. I think the way Anju described this earlier when we were talking about it earlier is that the patriarchy in India is almost like this like the patriarchy on drugs it's like patriarchy on cracks it's just it's aggressively patriarchal in a way that is not it it's less aggressive here in the u.s because of the women's love movement the strides that have been made by feminists over decades over centuries so yes it, it is far more aggressive in india and that's why i think it's more open in india than it is here we wanted to brainstorm and talk about why this exists and what we think contributes to this rape culture and one of it is a patriarchal thing how women are objects for men 
and their definition of masculinity, a part of their toxic masculine definition. A man is not a man unless he has or is dominant over a woman. I think that the idea of a woman is where the woman has to be pure. Like the definition of a woman that's good enough for a man is one that is pure. There is a virgin, white Saudi kind of thing where we are to be pure, to be taken. And there is no, I mean, we're talking about a country where you can't make out in public, then and you definitely can't have premarital sex. That's, uh, you know, part of that definition. And then, and when you're not talking about sex with a culture like men are having erections, no one's talking about it, and nobody's talking about what to do with it. They have There's urges. no outlet, yeah. There's no outlet for it. So some truly heinous things will happen as a result of that. When you don't have a sex-positive culture, when you're not talking about sex at all, and then you have this very, very dangerous image or gender norm for women where they have to be pure, beautiful, perfect, untouched. More than that is the problem. The problem with that mentality is that it puts all of the responsibility for this this sexless society expectation on the woman to be chaste and no responsibility on the men. So the men don't in any way have to control their behavior. It's all on women to protect themselves from it. And also to add on to that, you are expected if you want to be married and be accepted in society to be chaste and virginal. But yet the red light district and and human trafficking and, and child prostitution in India is is ridiculous and also sex trafficking in America is also ridiculous but there's that dichotomy of expectations of to be a good girl to be married means pure white virginal you know in in outlook and and taste and but to have fun you are a whore you know like Mm -hmm. right like I think that double standard exists in America just it's it's a little bit more it has progressed yeah I mean, that, that double standard definitely still exists in the U.S., of course. I mean, look at Sandra Fluke just a couple of years ago, and she was advocating before Congress for a contraceptive law, and she was called, she was shamed, and she was repeatedly called a slut and a whore and a prostitute because she was talking about enabling women to have sex and enjoy it mm-hmm. outside of the drive for reproduction. And so that same double standard and hypocrisy exists. I agree to exists. The one benefit I can see of being in the Western world is that you are forced to really quickly, well, you're not forced to, and it's not quick, but <laughs> it, it compared to India mm-hmm. and, and other developing nations and things like that with the same patriarchy, um, overt patriarchy of society, you know, in America, you can be shamed into changing, mm-hmm. whereas in India, you cannot. You can be shamed into being bad, I feel. Mm-hmm. Right, there's no culture of shame around it. Right. Yeah. There's also the idea that sex cannot be for recreation and enjoyment, that sex is only for procreation, and between a man and a a woman who are married, that definitely contributes to the rape culture because you're supposed to be untouched unless you are doing this for a reason, at least I know. It's kind of a powder keg when you think about it, when you put so much repressive pressure on people to ignore biological urges, really. And not only that, that super aggressive patriarchy 
right. spousal abuse, women not falling in line with men is often met with violence. Very strict gender norm or gender roles. Yes. And you end up with an acting out of that anger in absolutely horribly unhealthy ways. So we're talking about a very toxic masculinity in India that's very, very, very fragile. There are very, very, very fragile concepts of masculinity going on in India, and that contributes to the rape culture. There is a lot being stirred in the pot, so to speak. And I feel like one thing, another thing that um, India and um, to some extent people like Orange Mort have in common is that they don't believe that marital rape is a thing. Mm. Orange Mort, before he became Orange Mort, was accused by not one but two wives of raping them during during marriage and has since been retracted and retraction seems to be a means to prove victim guilt and or complicitness and trying to pull an okie doke on a poor innocent man you know so you have that and also i would like to point out this prudishness of a cultural norm that india perpetuates also needs to reconcile the fact that india produced the kama sutra like sex for pleasure very incongruent right Mm -hmm. so you have men and women pictured in those old drawings (laughs) enjoying sex with a smile on their face but yet somehow that coalesced into a sentiment that women can't only men can so and that has to do with the objectification of women to an extent um it's a misogynistic thing if women uh you're not a man if a woman is equal that's the concept so it's toxic masculinity. It's about power, like you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. Puja. If you have an equal society, well, that would mean that men are no longer men. But the problem is they don't realize they're not being men. They're being fragile. They're just being fragile. Yeah. Speaking of fragile men, mm-hmm. let's move to, again, rape. So rape culture, we had this discussion on one of our Facebook pages where we had to put someone in their place for not acknowledging victimhood as valid, right? So in, in that vein, let us talk about this new anti-rape underwear that has been introduced. I haven't heard about this, so you're going to have to explain it to me. Yes. So What the heck? The company is called, I believe, AF Wear or AV Wear or something, and the fabric cannot be cut the underwear or the pants, the fashion pants, once they are on, um, cannot be pulled down. And how they achieve this is they lock the elastic with a clasp that you put it, it's on your waistband. It's like a very um, eccentric button is how Mm -hmm. I would qualify it. So you put it on and you lock it and then it makes the elastic unstretchable. So you can't pull it down, you can't cut it. Blah, blah, blah. But I'm just like, okay, but you can pull the crotch aside because these outfits are, these shorts are super short. Like, mm-hmm. literally, they are coochie cutters and camel toe creators. And if you are a man, they are a moose knuckle maker. So, this is another form to me. This is a chastity belt. So, yeah. again, you are putting the onus on, on a victim. And I came across this from a friend who I used to work with. She posted this on her Facebook page. And my comment to it was, why can't men just not assault us? Like, why do we have to take preventative measures? We already have to 
carry mace. We already have to take self-defense. We already have to, when I walk in a parking lot, my traveling groups, traveling groups. When I walk in a parking lot, my keys are in between my fingers. So in case I need to attack you, you're going to get a face full of keys, like (laughs) stabbing every soft tissue membrane on your face. So I already have to do all that. And now I have to wear special underwear. And the other problem with the underwear is that it does not account for different body types. It does not account for different, when I say different body types, I don't just mean plus sized or overweight. I mean differently abled body types. Like if you are disabled, how do you get this done? Differently abled people are so easily to be victimized. How the fuck is this underwear going to help them? And also it doesn't, one out of 33 American men are a victim of attempted or at completed rape. And it does not take into account men and the other downside of it is that, okay, these underwear, A, it's easy to figure out how to undo the fucking clasp. So what protection is this? And B, in the case of an emergency, how are healthcare professionals supposed to get to your bits? Like if you have been found raped in a field and they need to do a rape kit, like how? How is that done? So to me, these aren't anything but chastity belts that put the onus on the victim. And I'm just like, who cares? So, would you guys buy rape prevention underwear? Fuck no. Just don't rape people, you sons of bitches. Right. And I didn't mean to say that's actually a terrible thing to say. Just don't rape people. It's not hard. Don't be raping. So, and just as a side note, this company did get $50,000, over $50,000 in Kickstarter funds to promulgate this. So, there are people out here who believe this is a solution. But also, like, all I've seen from this company are two ads about these prototype underwear. I feel like this may be a Jill Stein situation. Like, what did you do with the money, yo? Like, (laughs) you know, like, you, you, uh, we will link to the video and you can make your own decisions. But... I, I think that this is not a, va- a valid solution to the problem of rape and sexual assault. And so from one type of underwear to the next, <laughs> um, you may have heard of thinks, which is the period panty. And you may not know that the CEO is a brown woman named Mickey Agarwal. She is a Canadian Indian or Indian Canadian. However, I'm not sure she has been in the news for accusations of sexual harassment in the workplace. So I want to talk about this specifically in context of Bill O'Reilly. Okay, so Mickey's allegation, the allegations against Mickey are that she would get nude in the office, that she would comment on the head of her PR department's boobs um, and talk about them openly, talk about wanting to be in a polyamorous relationship. Uh, she touched her boobs. She did touch her boobs. She exposes herself in the office inappropriately and it she created a culture there that there at thinks where there was no hr structure and there was no whistleblowing structure and you're not required to if you're not a publicly traded company first of all so but the people there did speak out about the fact that this was happening and when you did try to complain there was retribution and also i mean they didn't have real hr they had something called culture queens and if you did go to a culture queen with your complaint essentially all they did was talk you out of it go no go to mickey who would then who could so that yeah it set up a system of retribution essentially like if you're complaint goes straight to the person that you're complaining about obviously you're not going to get any traction there and and so how that came to light was that this this pr woman left and wrote a blog piece about it and then other people started coming forward because she was encouraged by a board member who was investigating mickey to be like be vocal be vocal mm-hmm. about it but that doesn't help the fact that now this woman can't pay her bills you know mm-hmm. like she doesn't have a job and may or may not be blackballed from from an industry where she was respected 
compared to Bill O'Reilly, whose company has an HR structure, quote unquote, but did institute something similar to the culture queens where you can call a board member, but they have specifically said, we don't feel like this goes anywhere because you have paid out for Roger Ailes and Bill O'Reilly millions upon millions of dollars of women who have been sexually harassed for the last decade by these two men, yeah. yet they are still employed. And now you're only hearing about it because Bill O'Reilly said some real shitty things last week and people were like, we ain't taking this no more. Mm-mm. What about your past, sir? And advertisers are pulling out. When I last checked yesterday, 40 sponsors have pulled out of Bill O'Reilly's specific time slot, but are still you know, advertising with Fox and Fox isn't any better in covering up victims any better. This is the second incident of somebody who's pretty high up in the structure there that they have actively protected. So, and there's yeah. more, probably more. And also, because Fox is a publicly traded company and they have to answer to investors, there is an allegation and investigation being done, and I can't remember what department is doing it. It's not within the company, but it's a government entity who is investigating them because withholding that you made payouts in response to sexual harassment is a violation of SEC rules. So you could lose your public trading charter, you could get fined and sanctioned, and hopefully Fox News either gets restructured from being the, the you know, media bully pulpit of Orange Mort's regime, but also... It is not a good place to work if you're a woman. (laughs) You know, it it does nothing for your career. It enhances a man's career. And it gives the impression that a woman is only here, again, to cater to a man. And this is an American company that is held in quote-unquote high esteem is a news outlet and and women's only place there to gratify the trolls that are the troll of men. I'm not even going to use the term journalist because that's an insult to actual journalists uh, on the station. So I brought it up for two things. One, to point out that both men and women sexually harass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we don't. And on both ends of the political spectrum. Both ends of the political spectrum. But also to point out how Bill O'Reilly's sexual harassment is insidious and went on for decades. But Mickey Agarwal's, granted her company is brand new, how quickly that escalated into her resigning. And Bill O'Reilly will be on the news tomorrow. He will have his show all this week. So, you know, not only is rape culture and, and misogyny, you know, about victims, it's also against, I, I don't want to say this, this sounds gross and I hate that I'm about to say this, but it's also look at the way females accused of sexual harassment are treated. At this point, it's allegations against her. I have no reason to disbelieve them. The fact that they're being corroborated left, right, and center is, is something to take into account. But at the same time, it's like her tenure... And her faults had a brighter light in the short time and and precipitated a downfall that we will not see at Fox for Bill O'Reilly. Right. And that's troublesome. It goes back to what we were saying about patriarchy and, you know, equality for women would mean the weakness or the downgrade of men. But the truth is it's not a downgrade of men. It would be the end of their fragile and fragile masculinity, but it's the only masculinity they know. So they think they're losing everything they know, but the truth of the matter is, is that they're just not men. They're not men. They're not real men. While we're on the subject of, I mean, we have to talk about the fact that our current president is is also accused of sexual harassment. 
self-confessed. Among let's, other let's be things. Real. Not even accused. Self-confessed. And um, a sexual assault. Yes, sexual assault and sexual harassment. And that just this past week, I believe, he rolled back some protections, regulations that prohibited government contractors from, what was it, companies that have government contract work from being able to proceed if they had worker violations like sexual assault or sexual harassment issues. I think it reinstated, not it doesn't really reinstate, but there was a protection that allowed in, in cases of sexual harassment that women could go outside of their companies in order and like needed to have whistleblower protection. It was something like that. It was yeah. whistleblower. Yes. And this basically rolls back that protection and forces these women to go back to the arbitration clauses that are favored by companies like Fox that use them to settle to silence yeah silence silence these women protect these men and keep it all under wraps i mean from the highest level down to the lowest level this is a problem because what people don't understand about victims of sexual assault and survivors is that hurdles like this make it difficult to pursue justice like what you have no guarantees that this will work you have no guarantees that you will be believed you have to be okay with the fact that your sexual history is going to come out. Whether or not it's re- it's never relevant. It's never relevant in cases of rape or sexual assault, what you do with your body. It, it's relevant about in the, what the crime committed against you is. And that is a problem, and that's what this arbitration clause does. It's saying like, okay, we're not going to take you seriously. We'll work through and lead towards a settlement because we know you don't have the resources to fight us. Mm -hmm. That's what that does. And then the effect of it is that companies that do this, that prevent women from, prevent victims from getting justice will still be rewarded with government contracts. So for example, and this is a hypothetical, if Blackwater or Halliburton said, you know, like, fuck it, women never, you you know, sign an employment agreement, you will always arbitrate before suing us or taking us to court. And, you know, but then you get millions and billions of dollars to be private security overseas, to help train troops, to create, to send, to make goods that are sent, you know, in times of war, blah, 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 blah. Mm, All the meanwhile... We could go on, but yeah. there's, it's, it's heinous. Right. But what, you know, what it does, it's like we basically we're going to continue business as usual and fuck you women or Mm -hmm. fuck you men, you know, who are victims. So, you know, victim blaming is a part of rape culture that people refuse to acknowledge. Um, So let's talk about, you know, something good other than President Pussy Grabber (laughs) and, and, and the people who believe in him. Let's talk about something that that actually did lead to something. So Samantha B on Full Frontal last year did an investigation regarding rape kits. I think it was specific to Georgia about the backlog of rape kits. Mm-hmm. So if you are in a state where where there are no protections for for your rape kit, it could sit on a shelf for 30 days at least 30 days before it is either thrown away or tested. And so if there's a backlog, you have aging evidence, you have things that are not being done to, again, facilitate justice being reached in your case. And these backlogs are not rare. (laughs) Yeah, and we're not not talking 100, you know, per city. We're We're talking thousands upon thousands per county and each county per state, right? So I looked up the numbers, and I'll just say Texas leads the pack with 19,000 rape cases on backlog. Uh, of course we do. Statewide, but followed by Michigan at 16,000 and the next state after that is 13,000 plus. However, 
Um, and, and Which is usually, to be clear, not about a lack of interest in rape cases. It's usually just because there is a lack of funding for the labs that have to process them. Yes. So that brings us to a couple of federal protections. The first being the 2011, the Debbie Smith DNA Backlog Grant Program. If you want to look it up, it's 42 USC 14135, um, which was later amended by the 2013 Violence Against Women's Act, which both of these in essence provide federal funding for state and local governments to address DNA backlog. For crimes, it says violence against women, but we know it's a rape kit law. The Sexual Assault Forensic Evidence Reporting Act of 2013, aka the SAFER Act, became law on March of 2013 as a Title X reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act, and it aims to reduce the sexual assault kit backlog through various other funding streams and reporting mechanisms. Because it's great that you're giving money for this, but you're not tracking it. So that's what right. this, this this does. And so it's only about 5 to 7% of funding is authorized under the initial Debbie um, Smith DNA Backlog Act to begin with. So this is important. The Samantha B case talks about how Georgia specifically, and you need to watch this. We will link to it. They did a very schoolhouse rock. The video is amazing, yeah. Schoolhouse rock on steroids is the soundbite about how this law came to be passed in Georgia that it is required that they clear the backlog. It is required that you test rape kits. Now, how I first heard about this was on a different podcast. There's an astronaut by the name of Amanda Wynn, who is a rape survivor. And she was raped in New York State when she was in college. And in New York State, every six months, your evidence is up for disposal. So every six months as a rape victim, you have to call and request an extension of to keep the evidence, provide paperwork, all the hullabaloo. And she was like, this is traumatic every six months. She doesn't live in New York State. So she has to physically go there every six months to preserve her evidence. This is an undue burden on a victim, first of all. And the fact that nobody addressed it until Amanda Wynn decided to in 2016 is, is borderline ridiculous. And like most successful movements in America during this time, it was it started off very grassroots. She has a website called risenow.us that you should check out um, that tracks these things and, and all these things. But what is she's pioneered with doing is promoting a victim's slash survivor's bill of rights. And so these rights include the right to be treated with fairness, dignity, and respect, the right to be informed, a.k.a. what rules govern the disposal of evidence, has your accuser been brought in, what the status of the investigation is. These are things not available to victims readily. You would think they would be, but they're not. The right to be heard and participate in the criminal justice process, the right to timely disposition of the case, the right to notice about the status of the case, and the right to apply for compensation. Now, these are, I believe these were passed for New York only, but the U.S. Congress, House of Representatives, in a shocking display of empathy, has also passed a version of this. It has yet to reach the Senate, so it is not yet federal law. We'll link to all of this. And there's also on the state level, states California and Texas are the only two. Wow, Texas, you did something good. Um, in 2013, Texas enacted the second statewide law that gives victims the right to certain information regarding evidence collection in their cases, including the right to receive notice when the evidence is compared to DNA profiles in the database, which if you're in the criminal justice system or if, you, if you're forced to do this, that to you, that's progress. To you, that means, oh, they're searching for my perpetrator. They're seeking justice on my behalf. And that in itself is important. 
important when you're navigating sexual assault or any type of crime, but especially sexual assault, because it diminishes you as a person. You do not get resolution until there is resolution. Like you live with shame, pain, and all of that. And something we will link to in these show notes is that letter, if you have not read it, that the anonymous victim in the Stanford rape case wrote. Oh my God, yes. And what she documented, she had the wherewithal to document how she was feeling, how she was made to feel, and what other victims feel when going through this. Again, her sexual history was brought up. And, And that doesn't matter. And oftentimes with rape kits and rape kit backlogs, that's something they say. It's like, oh, but you had sex several times that night. Yes, but one of those times was against my consent. Without my consent. Again. It's about this fragile masculinity. We cannot ruin the reputation of men because they'll no longer be men or we can't put any kind of shame associated. We can't create a culture of shame surrounding men. And uh, like I said, it's still shame because it's it's a shame-based gender norm. So I wasn't going to talk about this, but I'm going to. Men are quick to accuse women of claiming rape when they want something from the man. Men do this fucking shit, too. I was accused of sexual harassment at a job from a man who was going to lose his job. And this gentleman texted me at 3 o'clock in the morning and texted me very suggestive things. And if I would respond to him, ha, 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 LOL, and there was, you know, like, there was accusations of inappropriateness I didn't get a bonus that year because of an accusation that was unproven, right? He ended up quitting because he couldn't do the job. Like he walked out of the office because he couldn't do the job. This was my first experience as a manager, right? In a multi-billion dollar corporation. So when you say that women play the victim, to keep a job, a man accused me of sexual harassing him and then went to my boss and said, but I'm not attracted to her. I don't like my women that big. Like, sir, when we talk about dying in a fire, you're the first body I'm shoving in the building that's, you know, burning. So don't tell me if I ever hear that argument that victims are trying to get something out of a man, I'll punch you in the face. Because that's not true. <laughs> and I wasn't going to talk about it, but I, I, you know, it's sexual assault awareness month and assault comes in many different forms. You should be aware that sexual assault is very specific. It does require a sexual act, but in general, assault does not have to be a touching of your person. It's just an assault to your senses. And so that, you know, that's a sexual assault to my sense. It's, it's an assault to my character. And, and, and it was it, the idea that, and here's again fragile masculinity it was the allegation was affixed to you no matter what mm-hmm. i worry about teachers who get allegations thrown at them mm-hmm. for sexual assault or this or that although goodness uh, that happens more often it actually does happen more yeah. often where teachers do abuse their relationships with their students and it's absolutely horrific how mm-hmm. often that happens but just the allegation for a woman, if it's not true, it's stuck to that person. Mm-hmm. I think it does happen for men too, but it's... But it's, men are allowed to rise above it. Somehow they have the permission to rise above it. Women are forever locked into that. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not true, it is stuck. And I just think that's a good thing that we're talking about the multi-layeredness of why rape culture exists 
but it all we keep coming back to misogyny. We keep coming back to toxic. I mean, masculinity. that's really that's really what's at the root of rape culture, isn't it? It's that control. What, that's what's it's at the root power. of rape. Period. So how could it not be at the root of rape culture and or culture that makes excuses for rape? Uh, it's just toxic masculinity and misogyny, and, and everything else just kind of falls under that umbrella. If we, just the three of us, pulled together our experiences, we would have too many stories for you listeners of how people in our lives or people or how we have been affected by stories of sexual assault, sexual harassment. We would have too much for just one episode. Right. This is coming out in communications online. It's coming out in narratives on TV shows and in movies, documentaries, songs, Lady Gaga's Till It Happens to You. It's starting to become, there's stop street harassment. It's starting to become a norm. Yeah. It's starting to become normal to be able to talk about it. And talking about it, I think there's a lot of dodos that go around, well, if they got raped, why did they talk about it? First of all, fuck you. That's the first thing I have to say about that. Shame lives and thrives in with three things, and this is according to shame researcher Brene Brown. Silence, secrecy, and judgment. It is not characteristic of shame, and that is what is rape is laced in it is not characteristic to immediately report this kind of shame and to beat up victims for not speaking right away is particularly when they're going to be beaten up for speaking up regardless like that's ridiculous and and that's why when you say a woman who comes forward and is open about this is brave because you just know what's waiting for her you know the attacks on her character that are about to happen you know that every motherfucking penis that or or vagina if it was a female rapist who has been near her will be brought up as a case against her when she's saying don't erase me don't erase me. Yeah. Please listen to me. This person's a danger. They will do this again because guess what? Once you sexually assault, you don't go back from it. It's like, it, it, it's, it, and once you sexually harass people, like if you don't, if blah, blah, blah. If we don't speak up, then this continues. Then the, the continual victim blaming, the continued excuses of, well, you know, you want it, you slept with him before, but that was with my consent. Like, we need to pivot the conversation to always talk about consent and power in that dynamic. Nothing else matters. You know, nothing else matters. It's consent, and that is what we need to be talking about. That it needs to be part of sex education in the limited places that we offer it to children. But it needs to be something we talk about at home. Right. And, and out in the open, and all the time. We didn't say this, but this abstinence-only sex education also contributes to rape culture. Thank you for mentioning that. I don't know how I want to frame this because I can tell all of you, and I'm okay with saying this, that if it weren't for a story of lack of consent, a horrific story of lack of consent, coupled with another horrific story of lack of consent, and 
the domino effect of all of that, I would have a different story myself. I don't think that we are all unaffected by stories of rape. Our lives are shaped by it. We, how free would we be if this wasn't a problem? What would we do with our lives? How would we carry and how would we walk? You know, how would we carry ourselves and how would we walk? Like Pooja was saying, she carries the keys between her fingers. I don't know that I would be who I am and I don't know if I, I would have to, you know, my demons, so to speak. I wouldn't have certain demons to battle if that wasn't a part of my life. Right. I've yeah. had friends who've been raped and I... In public did, places by strangers or in intimate settings by someone they know. Yes, which is... That's scary. I remember the first friend of mine who told me that she was raped. The first thing I thought was, what? Like, what? This is a thing that happens? And I was just... It was so surreal to me. And it was surreal to her. She wasn't... She was raped. She went to court. One, the court case, thankfully. I don't know what resulted of that, but... She wasn't even sure what happened to her because it was so surreal. And the cover-up that the perpetrator and his friend tried to commit after that. I was witness to that. I was a witness at the trial. It, it was surreal to me and I was in the freaking house where it happened. I can't honestly say that I don't know a, a rape survivor. Or a rape victim. I can't say that I don't know people who aren't harassed. I can't say that my personality and how I carry myself or how um, safe I feel is unaffected by the shit that goes on in this world. I, we're like, all affected by we're it. We're all affected by it. And so... I mean, for, speaking of being all affected by it, speaking of you know your thing with the keys or whatever, just the other day I was coming back from a happy hour with some coworkers and I didn't realize that one of the other guys from the office was also leaving at the same time, so I, I walked out. And I got almost all the way to the office, and, and he's, like, right in front of me. And I'm like, hey, how did, like, you, I left before you. And I realized he took a different route, and he took the route I would never have taken because it's a quieter, less busy street at night. So I took mm. the main street because I knew it would be more trafficked and it's better lit, and he took the other route, and he just so we just didn't run into each other because we just took two different routes, and and he walks faster because he has longer legs. Um, but it was just it's just interesting that you know we were both coming from the same place, going to the same place, but because he's a man, he just went he a different way. A shortcut. Yeah, I mean, not that it was necessarily a shortcut, but yeah, mm -hmm. it was just a different route, and I would never have taken it because I just have to think differently. And. There's a certain amount of dissociation that happens with this because we are acting in a way that we know this culture exists and we are at, we act in a way where we know that if we don't behave a certain way or if we don't take certain precautions that we could very easily be one of these victims. Any, yeah. uh, any of the three of us could right. be a victim of this. And it's so... We dissociate. It's so... We now don't even, I don't, like, we are talking about it, but it is so normal to engage in these behaviors to protect ourselves. Yeah. That I'm not associating with, oh, I got to do this thing now so I don't get raped. 
Yeah. It's so normal that we don't even think about it. And it was, I, and I'm thinking back to when I was first exposed to how to protect yourself. It was watching Oprah. And going back to the normalcy of this, it was a trend, now that I've been thinking about it, back in the late mid to late 90s on TV shows to do series on how women can better protect themselves. And it wasn't against financial strain. It wasn't against, you know, how to lobby effectively for your rights in Congress. It was against sexual assault because, like it or not, every woman is a victim of this, whether you know a victim or you experience yourself. And you may not think what you experience is sexual assault, but to a professional, it would be, right? So we're not counting in that one in six, that number could be really high if everybody has the same educational um, tools at the ready to, to identify what a sexual assault looks like. Right. Because it looks different for everybody, you know? And, um, and I think that speaks to our society where we don't, well, first of all, talk shows aren't really a thing anymore, but that's not a theme on talk shows anymore. No. Talk shows are kind of still a thing. Uh, uh, well, I mean, it, <clears throat> the talk shows about how to protect yourself as a woman right. because I heard that key trick from Oprah. Mm-hmm. The, the person on the screen was like, when you're walking through a parking lot, ladies, it's a good idea to, you know, have your keys in, in the ability to hit soft tissue, especially the eyes and the nasal cavities. And now it wasn't until like much later that I realized, well, why weren't you talking to men to be like, don't fucking assault women. Like, don't assault women. It's just women. not that hard. Literally just keep walking. <laughs> yes. Know? And it's back to toxic masculinity again. <laughs> if we if we redefine what masculinity is and we make that if we make this an equal society, that solves so much. Just that. Mm-hmm. Something else we aren't talking about, we haven't talked about yet, is roofing. There's, my goodness, there's multiple ways we can be freaking raped. We can be assaulted uh, violently in a parking lot or in our cars or in... In the privacy of our bedrooms. Privacy of our bedrooms. And then there's people who can slip things into your drinks. I know so many girls who've been roofied. Yeah, I just had a conversation last weekend, actually, sitting around in a group, and one of the guys was talking about how he was at a college party, that was the night that he met his girlfriend, and he'd gotten, and he said it pretty casually, but that he got, he got roofied, apparently, and it's because he got a drink from a friend of his who was a girl, who got it from another friend of hers who was a girl, and he's the one who ended up, somebody tried to drug one of these two girls, and my male friend is the one who ended up taking that drink, and... Both of the women in that room that day, that me and this other girl both said, you just saved two girls from getting raped that day. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry that happened to you, but better you than them. Yeah, because what did you get? You got a blissful nap. Right. Right. <laughs> Although I will say this has happened to gay male friends of mine that have, I know gay male friends of mine that have been roofied as well. So this is, it happens to oh, men right. too. Oh, right. I'm, yeah, I'm sure and, it happens yeah. to men too. And uh, where it's not safe, like with your friend. And right. I wish I could... I wish sexual assault was a hate crime. I mean, because that's mandatory jail time if you get committed for a hate crime. Right. It, I mean, it's... why don't we just make it mandatory? I mean, you know, like... I mean, yeah, but I'm, I, in the context of if a trans person is sexually assaulted, that could be a hate crime. Whereas if a plain old straight cis woman is sexually assaulted, that's sexual assault. Right. 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 So, it's still a hate crime. Um, I do want to talk about... Hate crime. <laughs> I do want to talk about a solution... And the only solution I can see, 
the only solution I can see is for more women to run for office and for more women to gain power, for more women to choose a life of solitude and a life of ambition and a life of autonomy. Yeah, just like where, yeah, just... How many times do you hear about... Um, Did you say complacency? Mm-hmm. How many uh, you times know? do you hear about these cases like the the Stanford swimmer where, you know, the judge is a woman who says stuff like that, you know? Women like, can be misogynists also. True, true. I'm just saying, I feel like having more women in those positions, you'd see less of, oh, but this is going to ruin this guy's life. Right. That's That's just part of the culture right now. We need more women in power. We just need more women who are making laws in this country because men are and not going to do it for them. us. We, we cannot, I do not believe we can count on men to do this for us. They have done a shitty job so far. So, sorry. Suck it, men. You have not been doing enough to help us. And if you wanted to do it, men, you would have done it by now. You like, would have done it by now. One right. in six women. You can't, like, lawmakers literally look at six women in front of you. One of them has been the victim of an attempted or completed rape. So, not even sexual assault. Attempted or completed rape. Mm-hmm. And and this kind of grosses me out on a level that I don't know how to contextualize it. And my complete fling is about it, but I'll put it out there. It's this genre of pornography, and I'm not talking about rape fantasy porn because that's I I'm not versed enough. We're to in ta- a non-judgmental space, right? For that, yeah. But I'm not well versed enough to talk about the psychology of it, which is what I want, which is something you know, because if it's a rape fantasy, there's a good chance that a woman has that fantasy, and it's not necessarily the fantasy of being raped that she wants to happen in real life. It's the fantasy of a safe space to give up control. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but there's another genre of pornography, amateur pornography, if you will, that's groping. And you see it a lot in development in developing nations where it's a guerrilla style porn, where it's a man who has exposed himself and will push his erect penis up against the back or the buttocks of a woman. Right. And it, uh, her unknowingly, and it happens a lot on buses for some reason. Of course. I fell down a rabbit hole and I watched a lot of these one day because I'm just like, are you kidding? This is a thing. And like they leave ejaculate on her pants and shit like that. Like and it's very, it's, it's gross. And sometimes it could be staged in the fact that the woman backs up into it. Then, you know, the person doing this, like mm-hmm. that's not, that's not a stranger. Mexico City on one train on their public transit system put a seat with a erect penis on it not standing straight up but laying flat so that if you were to sit on it you can experience what a woman is experiencing and if a man if that is the only seat for a man to sit on empty seat he will not sit on it i will send the video i saw this i saw a link of this and also they will put something over it so they don't have to feel it you know and i'm just like all right well i imagine women going through this every day like we have to make such a bold statement to make international news for you to be aware of a problem that women are more than and and gay men and trans women are more than likely living in every day And, and and to me we're talking solutions now to me the solution not only is to get women in more places it is to talk about this one in six women one in 33 men are victims. And when, if you are comfortable talking about it, please, you know, I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life, but I'm comfortable talking about my experiences with sex, my personal experience with sexual assault. And it's more of a place from, a, I come from a place of aggression. Like, don't 
tell me about my victimhood. I'm going to tell you about motherfucking your, your criminality. Like that's how I'm going to turn the conversation. I will talk about it in those terms. Right. So I, to me, my solution, me personally, my solution is to be vocal about the experience itself, how it changes lives, how it negatively impacts you, and also the conversation of consent. Those are things I see outside oh, of electing women. What that's you're hard. saying about being vocal, too, goes back to what Miranda was saying about how about the shame, about how the problem with rape is that it, it's something that engenders so much shame and and the shame thrives in secrecy and silence and mm-hmm. the way to the to, only way to clear it out to is, destroy shame is to speak it mm-hmm. and that is so hard on a million fronts like we talked about the bravery it takes for a woman to come out about being a rape victim is bravery times bravery times bravery times bravery and yes and even if you don't want to talk if you cannot talk about it or you still live in that space of shame you don't have to but those of us who can speak about it and who can and are willing to do so should you are speaking for other victims who can't Mm -hmm. that's my belief of what we need to be doing in the future and even it, it doesn't have to be rape it doesn't have to be sexual assault it could be sexual harassment how that makes you feel because on some level it's the same shame it's the same shame magnified yeah it's the same culture. Yeah. And we are all affected by it. If you're a cisgendered male and you're boggled by how this even happens and how it affects a person's life, just think about how carefree you fucking are. Mm-hmm. And imagine and understand that is not any woman's life. Not a single woman's life. I mean, start there and then work backwards. Find out what women's lives are like. Have them talk about it. Say you're trying to understand. Listen. And I mean, do, do not speak. Shut your damn mouth and listen. Because this is not just, I thought about it. This is not just about women getting more seats in Congress and changing the laws and being the change makers. We actually do need men to join us. We can't do this on our own because we do want an equal society, not a society where men don't exist. We just need an equal society. So if you actually have the capacity to listen, uh, which means relinquishing power momentarily so that you can get a clearer view of reality, be willing to be wrong even so that you can get a clearer view of reality, you need perspective taking. Yeah, I mean, you can't dismantle rape culture. Just uh, women can't do that by themselves. No, like, you we got, need allies. Yeah, yeah, that's something that men and women have to do together. One of my favorite things... until the patriarchy topples, then we right, do that by and, and that is actually <laughs> something that is inevitable. And mm-hmm. I love that Rebecca Tracer talks about that in all the single ladies. I um, will say, I love uh, uh, for a little bit of levity. There, one of my favorite tweets that I saw, and it was retweeted by Stop Sexual Harassment, was Lin Manuel Miranda said his new thing that he does is when he sees a group of men sexually harassing a woman on the street, he says something. I forgot what he said exactly, but he's, he's like, like, thank you. Thanks, fellas. Oh, right. And then they're like, what? And by then he's already bounced. He's already <laughs> out of there. And everybody loved it. And that's an example of a straight male. Ally. 
ally. That's what you can do. I mean, speak up about it. Yep. Just speak up about it. Make this a safe place for pe- victims to be able to talk about it because that's also part of the deal. Yes, it, we do need victims to talk. We do need this to be spoken about. But I don't think that that's just something they can do. You need a safe place. And men, you can make this a safer place. Women, misogynists, you can maybe stop being misogynists first. <laughs> Please. Step one. <laughs> Stop being misogynist. Try to maybe notice how all of your views and everything you say has been fed to you via the patriarchy. And this was never a thought or opinion of your own. And then shut up and listen. (laughs) Shut up and listen. I think you have that backwards. Shut up and listen and then contemplate about how you've been spoon fed everything. Yes. (laughs) Do both. Um, But... Well, you got to shut up and listen before you can contemplate. You have to shut up and listen before you can contemplate. I agree. And just, we need allies. We need allies. Please let us know your thoughts. If you feel safe, share your stories. Let's talk. Let's make this world a better place. I was just going to say, once again, the hotline number is 1-800-656-HOPE. And the website is online.rain, that's R-A-I-N-N, dot org. And yes, please keep, if you feel comfortable enough to share a story and you want us to share it with other people, please do reach out to us at www.jiltedindianpod.com or email us at jiltedindianpod at gmail.com or hit us up, you know, on Twitter or Instagram and we're everywhere at at Jilted Indian Pod, including Facebook. You know, bringing conversation to light helps a lot of people. In this instance, it can help people on both ends of the conversation. If you are comfortable enough to share what others perceive as shame, it helps them in dealing and realizing they are not alone and that there are safe spaces that exist for them. And then if you are somebody who never experiences this, it will teach you empathy and compassion because whether you like it or not, you line six women up and one of them has a story. So, and that's just about rape, not about sexual assault. So I think we can end there. Yep. Yes. Right. Once again, that number on you is 1-800-656-HOPE or 656-HOPE, sorry. And the website is online.rain.org. Thank you. This has been Pooja. Miranda. And Anju. Thanks for listening.